Welcome to today's One Million by One Million podcast. And we are talking to Anirudh Malpani of Malpani Ventures, a very active observer in the Indian startup scene and an investor. Anirudh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Shamana. I've always admired the sensible perspective you bring to the startup space. I enjoy reading your books, and I love the way you tell stories. I'm really pleased to be here. Great. Well, tell us about Malpani Ventures. What is the focus of your firm? How big is the fund? And what kind of investment, what sized investments are you making? Okay, great. So I think I need to emphasize that I'm an angel investor and that these are personal funds which I use. And we've Mm -hmm. realized that in India, the startup ecosystem still has a long way to go, which is to say that you have people who are willing to do Series A funding. But how do these entrepreneurs go from zero to the point at which they can be invested in by a VC? And we want to be able to hold their hand for those 18 months or two years and then hand them off to VCs saying, you know, these guys are now ready for the next growth. Yep. And how much, uh, I mean, what, what kind of capital are you committing, of your personal capital are you committing to doing this sort of angel investment? So, you know, for my overall asset allocation, I've decided that about 10% of my total worth would be for angel investing so that it's great if I make money, but at least I don't lose any sleep over it in case the startups don't do well. And we know that the base rate for most seed stage investing is that most startups are going to fail. And I'm very comfortable with that. But I think because these are personal funds, it gives me the big advantage that it's very patient capital. I'm not answerable to anyone except my wife as to how I spend that money. And it's quite an exciting journey because you can actually see these entrepreneurs have a dream. And then you're hoping that you're going to be able to help them to implement that dream in real life. And what sized investments are you making, Anirudh? So typically, the amount of money we would invest, can I say this in rupees? That's about a crore Absolutely. to a crore and a half. Absolutely. No uh, problem. So crore uh, and a half? Yes. So basically, we have an investment thesis. We try to be open and transparent. We share it on our website. And we say we want to fund frugal innovation in India. Mm -hmm. which means we're looking for companies with a pre-money valuation of about maybe five to eight crores. We're willing to give them one to one and a half in tranches because I agree with you, you don't want to give them too much money because then they end up choking on it. And as long as they know that the money is going to come, it gives them a lot more comfort and they can manage to use whatever funds they have much more carefully when they know that it's a limited amount. And what... um Industry sectors do you like to invest in? So, you know, because, you know, I'm an IVF doctor, a lot of people feel, well, shouldn't you be doing the healthcare space? Because isn't that your niche? And don't you have an advantage because of the domain Mm -hmm. expertise? But interestingly, Shamana, I actually think that's a disadvantage because I have certain preconceived notions, which may be completely wrong. And sometimes the entrepreneur may feel, oh, you're the doctor, so you know what's right. And I have done healthcare startups. I obviously have a soft corner for them, but I'm Mm -hmm. quite happy to invest across all domains. For me, Shamana, the most important thing for seed stage investing is not a return on investment. I understand, you know, these may take anywhere from 10 years to play out. I'm much more interested in what I call my LOI or my learning on investment. 
Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the best ways of getting it because entrepreneurs, by definition, are smart. They're contrarian. They think they're going to be able to take on the big boys and be able to beat them at their own game. And they're willing to share their insights as they're building their startup. So it's extremely exciting. You know, when you talk to people like Ajit from Avaaz, you get such a high because he has so many ideas and he's spilling out with all of them. So it's great being an observer and seeing how these companies are evolving. So you are, to net it out, you are agnostic to B2B, B2C. You are really interested in learning about something new. That's your primary motivator. So Shamana, you know, as an IVF specialist, and I've been doing this for 30 years, I'm good at what I do. This is what I call Mm -hmm. the T-shaped model of living a life. I have a lot of vertical expertise in my particular domain. And I would now like to apply it across other fields. And the only way I can learn about these other fields is by investing in these startups. You're a very curious man. Uh, I think there's so much I don't know about the world. And the world changes so much so quickly. And I think that's really what makes it exciting. You want to get up in the morning and find out what's new and what else uh, we can do about it. I'll tell you one thing, Shamana. I don't know whether you know this, but it's no longer very easy to be a doctor in today's world. And that's especially true in the U.S., where lots of doctors have become clerical pen pushers. You know, you're filling in data on the electronic medical record. And lots of older doctors talk about the good old days. And therefore, they tend to be a little pessimistic about how patients don't respect them and the insurers don't respect them. But the great thing about hanging out with young entrepreneurs is they're very optimistic. Yeah. I think that keeps me young and excited. Well, and I think, uh, you know, there's no point thinking about the good old days when, you know, technology is going to keep moving and medicine is changing in changing in many different ways. Actually, I have a whole um, field of interest that is to do with uh, artificial intelligence and that impact on medicine. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of impact of AI on the field of medicine that is going to change things fundamentally. So I think these changes, there's no no point resisting these changes. Changes are going to come. The question is, how are you going to interface with those changes? Are you going to be a curious, you know, excited participant in that world? Or are you going to be like thinking nostalgic about what what used to be the good old days and that those good old days are not coming back so say la vie. No, i love the word i love the word you used in your book called cross domain innovation yeah. and i think that's exactly the advantage of being a doctor and then you're at this cutting edge of two different fields so you have a certain perspective and then you can actually see what's happening in other fields and how can you apply some of that learning into yours so yeah. that's where the healthcare piece comes in. But, you know, the one thing I have a soft corner for is social impact investment. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's just so much potential in this country. And I think the great advantage of being an investor in India is that your competition in one sense is much less. What I mean is, for example, in Silicon Valley, which is flush with funds and there is so much money. Whereas in India, there's not that much money, but there are lots of clever entrepreneurs who are willing to work at solving these problems. So quite frankly, I would say the bang you get for your buck or the ROI as an angel investor in India is far more than it would be in other parts of the world. And that's exciting. It allows me to play to my advantages. You know, this is my country. It's my ecosystem. I understand it. 
So does that uh, necessarily say that you are investing in companies that are Indian market focused companies or are you also investing in companies that are focused on global markets out of India, Indian entrepreneurs working out of India but are looking to sell to the entire world? So, you know, as you know, Shamana, you basically fall in love with the entrepreneur, whatever his idea may be. And I think there's more than enough scope for entrepreneurs to just do India market well and make tons of money, what I call Bharat. So, for example, one of the startups I've recently invested in is called Multibhashi, which is an Mm -hmm. app to help blue-collar workers learn English. Now, there's such a huge need for it. You can imagine the amount of value you're adding to these people's life, whether it's a salesperson sitting in a retail store or whether it's someone who's driving an Ola or an Uber cab. And Mm -hmm. that is a kind of impact which you can see. And no international company is going to be interested in doing this stuff. So that gives us some degree of a competitive mode straight away. But quite frankly, I think as these companies grow, I think if you can succeed in India, you know, given the fact how difficult it is that to get money from customers, I think the ability to succeed anywhere in the world is just a matter of time. So yes, a lot of the entrepreneurs I've funded will have global ambitions. So to take a great example, you know, Ajit Narayan, who runs Free Speech or Avaaz, their app is now basically being monetized in order to teach children in China, toddlers yes. and school kids, how to speak English. Right. Uh, such a huge market. Yeah. So what trends are you seeing in the entrepreneurs who are coming to you for uh, funding? What trends do you see? What kinds of entrepreneurs are coming? What are you seeing? Are there hot buttons? What resonates with you? Uh, So as I said, I think the social impact piece resonates with me because I actually think these companies will be far more profitable, partly because it's the financial capital we're providing They also have human capital, which is different because the employees these companies attract are very different from the average employee who works for a for-profit. So they're very Mm -hmm. committed and motivated. And then, of course, there's that social capital angle, which means, you know, customers are far more willing to pay a premium for some of these products. So that's my soft corner. And a lot of it really, because I'm not limited to one particular domain, We're quite happy to listen to pitches and we get pitches from everyone with, you know, as you know, the startup space, thanks to the Startup India movement is becoming fairly hot. Lots of incubators and accelerators who are trying to get students interested. But again, I have a soft corner for the failed entrepreneur. Interesting. And have you invested in a failed entrepreneur that you would like to tell a story of? Uh, Yes. So typically, I think the advantage of a failed entrepreneur is someone who is a little more mature because Mm -hmm. he's been there, done that. And I think he values money far more because he understands the importance of what can happen if you run out of money. So he's very focused on making sure that revenues, monetization, you know, all the stuff you talk about, Shamana, that you cannot depend on the kindness of investors to keep uh, you going. So I think that's some of it which really excites me. So uh, there's this great company, uh, which, again, is not one of my standard thesis companies. It's a little more mm-hmm. mature called Zophop, which is run by investor, which is run by entrepreneurs who've invested earlier in the same company and now are looking for more funding. 
And the great thing is they're trying to make public transport in India far more sensible, which means intracity transport. For example, whether you take a BST bus in Bombay, you have no mm -hmm. idea when the bus is going to come, when it's going to leave. And therefore, you waste so much time on public commutes and transport. And these people now have a model so that they'll be able to tell you. And they actually know more about where these buses are in Mumbai than even the BST themselves, just using technology. So I think that's really exciting. Okay. How do you process the current investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream? How does a seed investor, or an entrepreneur for that matter, mitigate the Series A gap that is widening and widening, actually? <laughs> yes, and yes, it's always a problem. So I think in some senses that Series A gap is good because, quite frankly, not all startups which have been invested at an angel level deserve to continue to grow. And for some, I think perhaps it's kinder to pull the plug because they're not going anywhere. So it's okay to cut your losses. And for the others, our focus is to be able to fund companies which will become operationally cash flow positive within about one and a half to two years so that with the money we're able to provide them, if nothing else, they're at least in charge of their own destiny. And as you know, that once you become cash flow positive and have customers, investors will want to give you money because they can see you're on the path to growth. Yes, as you know, I have this pet saying, investors like to come to the rescue of victory. <laughs> yes, and I completely get that. And that's our model, that we as angel investors want to get these entrepreneurs so that a Series A VC investor says, wow, that's something we really want to get involved with. And for me, as an angel investor, what I'm trying to do is then develop that reputation of being someone who's founder friendly so that we become the port of first call for someone who wants to raise money but understands exactly what value we're bringing. So, but I'm hearing something else also in what you're saying. You, are, you want to yeah. look for, you want to invest in companies that are going to be profitable relatively yeah. quickly and are not going to, one of the ways you mitigate the Series A gap is by choosing capital efficient companies that are going to turn profitable quickly as opposed to being dependent on a Series A, yeah? Perfect. And that's what our sweet spot is. And that's what we define so that if we can find an entrepreneur who thinks the same way which we do, and there's that mm -hmm. philosophy matched, we can hold their hand and serve as partners so that, you know, we know that sometimes things don't go well. They will need an additional bridge round before they actually get ready to Series A. And we're quite happy to double up and continue funding them as long as we feel that we can continue trusting the entrepreneur and his attitude and his ability to deliver. What I call both character and competence are what we thought they would be when we first gave him the funds. Okay. How do you look at, um, how do you parse the unicorn mania that's going on in the industry right now? As a seed investor, you could get, if you, if you do get a hot company that goes through multiple rounds of financing, you could get buried under later stage liquidation preferences. How do you protect yourself and how do you think about this scenario? Yeah, I think, you know, we've not reached that stage yet. It's still early days for us. So, uh, and, you know, I think the reality, of course, is that most of these companies are never going to become unicorns. So maybe one way of looking at it is that's a good problem to have. But our focus is then making sure that we have pro rata rights 
So at least yeah. initially we will continue growing with these companies as they continue to grow. And quite frankly, our hope is that if we can engage with entrepreneurs and they think that we're adding value to their life, they will not ditch us once they start talking to the bigger boys. But again, you know, I have no idea how some of this is going no, to play I, I, out. Here's one, one little tip that I'm going to give you on this is when sure. you do term sure. sheets, especially if you think a company yes. has the potential to become, an, become a unicorn, always negotiate co-sale rights. So what's yeah. happening right now with the larger funds are often giving liquidity to the entrepreneurs in the process right. of later stage financing. If that happens and if there are liquidation preferences ahead of you, you want to be mm. able to sell at least some or part of your uh, or, or all of your uh, investment at that point if the entrepreneur is selling. Otherwise, there's a chance that you're going to get washed out. I think that's such a great point. And that's the one thing I really love about some of your perspective, because you've seen the life cycle of some of these companies, you know, people who started from nothing and have gone on. And that's not a perspective I still have as an angel investor. And I'm hoping we're going to be able to see how that plays out in the Indian context over the next five to 10 years. But I think it's great learning some of these cautionary lessons. And I'll definitely keep that in mind. You know, what we look to... at what's yeah. happening, right? With SoftBank, Tiger, these guys are coming in. And even companies that are ridiculously funded but have no profitability, not the revenue to um, investment ratio is really low, but the entrepreneur has taken out $35 million. That is a scenario where angel investors get screwed, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think sometimes that is true because you then start losing leverage as the company keeps on getting bigger and bigger. I think, quite frankly, I am what I call a value investor. And this is true yes. in the listed space as well as yeah. in the angel space. So I don't understand all these valuations which people like SoftBank give. And I don't even try to pretend to understand them. The way I look at it is they've got billions of dollars. They must be much smarter than I am. So best of luck to them. I'm just happy playing in fields which I understand, which make intuitive sense to me. And I think some of these theses are going to play out. But quite frankly, I think it's going to take three to five years before we know how some of these things will do. And I'm quite happy. Yes, with well, that this is actually a very good segue into my last question to you, which is, yes. you know, we are in 2017. Lots of yes. stuff have already been built. Nowadays, there aren't so many wide open opportunities for building billion dollar companies. But there are many niche opportunities, and this is actually more in your sweet spot, I think. Some of the businesses that oh. need to be built for very small amounts of capital, you know, one to two million dollars, maybe 250K to 500K, you know, in your terms, you know, under 10 crores in, in the total amount of money that goes into a company, and then they will get sold for five, 10, 15 million dollars. That's probably where your sweet spot is, isn't it? You're absolutely right, because that's something which makes sense to me. It makes sense to anyone else who's valuing that business, that we are adding value to the customer's life. He's generating revenue, and therefore you're yeah. willing to pay multiple on that revenue. So what you're saying is absolutely right. We don't have any aspirations. To some, to some extent, multiple on revenue, to some extent, it could also be a strategic acquisition where the technology has been built, the technology looks good, the, the acquiring company has the channel, so bring the technology in, bring the team in that has built the technology, and let's just push it through the channel, and, and the business will scale rapidly. 
those companies get very good very good valuations relative to the to the amount of capital that has gone into building those companies that that's probably your sweet spot and you're right you know mergers and acquisitions and this is something which you're always looking for so we're quite happy to be patient i'm not looking for an exit immediately but once the entrepreneur thinks that he's found a spot where he's comfortable the way I look at it is if the entrepreneur wins, that's the only time we win. And we're happy to be patient and allow him to find something which he's happy about as well. Great. Anirudh, I'm going to uh, thank you for participating. And uh, we will continue to talk. And I hope we can work on some projects together. No, but it's been so exciting to have this conversation with you. You know, I follow you on LinkedIn. I read your books. I'm quite a fan. And I'm sure you have lots of silent fans like me all over the world whom you don't even know and haven't heard well, of. Well, next time, so next time you're in Silicon Valley, come see me. Yeah, you know, I have a daughter who's doing an MBA in Stanford. Oh, right. Congratulations. That's a hard program to get into these days. But you know what, Shamana? I think once she comes back to India, which she will do next year, I think a uh-huh. lot of that magic sauce of, you know, having some of that Silicon Valley connect, having some of that Stanford BA background and working in the Indian ecosystem will create hopefully some magic. So the next time we have this conversation, I'll be able to tell you about some more exciting success stories. Super, super. I will, we will be in touch. Thank you so much, Shamana. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.